Nehemiah chapter 2. So we're talking about where is God, and we got this lesson, and then, of course, next week we'll be gone on the retreat, so you'll hear more details about that later, and, and then our very last series on this will be taught on the 15th by Brother Chester, uh, but this, this particular lesson is lesson seven. Again, we're talking about where is God? Ezekiel 48, 35 says, it was round about 18,000 measures in the name of the city from that day shall be. The Lord is there. Everybody say, the Lord is there. So where, where is he? He's there. Is, is that like who's on first? What's on second? However that goes. And then Zechariah 2 and 10 says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, says the Lord. So the Hebrew word here in Ezekiel 48 where it says the Lord is there. It's, you know, as you know, the word Lord there is Jehovah and is there in the Hebrew is Shema. And so it would be Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is there. That's where he is. He's right there. Or in the midst of the church. That's what it means. And so remember, as we learned a few weeks ago, how that Ezekiel described the glory of the Lord that left and departed from the temple. So you might remember it was just a few weeks ago that we talked about how the glory of God was there through, throughout Israel's journeys in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and then it, it came to a point where they, they, they rested that, that tabernacle where the glory of God dwelt, the Ark of the Covenant, that rested inside the land of Canaan in, in, in the tribe of Ephraim or in Ephraim's area or territory, and it rested in a little town called Shiloh. And whenever you read the book of Samuel, you'll see that the Lord, the Bible says the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, meaning God had left for a long time. He had left because Israel was in idolatry. But now he came back, and so, you know, throughout that whole time, they just continued to have their religion as usual. And that was, that, was, that was tragic. We don't want to ever have religion without power. Amen. We don't want to have, you know, again, I reminded you a couple weeks ago that there's no dead church like a dead apostolic church. A church that has the truth but doesn't have any power associated with it. We never want to get like that. So we want to remain prayerful and we want to love God with all of our hearts. Amen. And, and so, so the glory of God left. And... and uh, you know, Ichabod was born, and, you know, the, it meant the glory of the Lord has departed, the tabernacle, or the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. Um, but eventually, God permanently left that place. When Solomon built this temple, the glory of God came down so strong the priests couldn't minister. And then, again, they fell into idolatry through the process of time. And Ezekiel describes how the glory of God left from that place and stood by where the door was. And that was God telling them, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to exit this place. The glory of God left. And so, uh, so, so we learned that a few weeks ago. And Ezekiel spends the last several chapters of his book describing a new temple and its various dimensions. So what he was saying was that God has rejected this temple and he's going to build a new temple or a new house for his namesake. Now, there are some that take, it's from Ezekiel chapter 30, 40, 40-ish, somewhere, and through the, pretty much the end of the book. And there are some that believe that there's going to be a literal temple because he gets pretty specific about its dimensions. So I'll leave that to people smarter than me to figure out. But I will say this. I believe 
that, he, that a big part of what he's referencing here is the church. Uh, so I believe that's what he's referencing. Because Ezekiel finally ends his discourse on the new temple by saying that God is never going to depart from that place, but continually dwell in the midst of it. And so when the glory of God, when the glory of the Lord is risen over Zion as a brilliant light, it's a sign to the world that the Lord is there. He's among us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this in verse 11, For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So there was a glory that was shown under the law. You might remember whenever Moses came down from Mount Sinai after he had been there for 40 days. And the Bible says that his face shone so much that he had to put a veil over his face. Because the children of Israel could not look steadfastly into that. Now remember, Moses said, show me thy glory. And God said, you can't see my glory or face and live, but I'll show you the back parts of me. And when Moses saw even the back parts of God... His face was literally shining. And he who saw the glory of God, Moses, who was a very righteous man, imagine how the Israelites would have felt if they had even tried to see the hind parts of God. Because they were, what were they doing? We know what they were doing. They were committing idolatry and doing all kinds of horrible things. So they for sure could not look into the glory of God. They couldn't even look into he who had saw or beheld the glory. Amen. And so that was the glory of the law that was abolished. In other words, that's all the glory that Moses could get by means of the law. And Israel could not look upon it. But there is a greater glory that is under grace. And we are invited to behold this glory. Unlike the glory that Israel could not behold in the face of Moses. They could not look steadfastly towards that. It was like you ever tried to stare at the sun for more than five seconds? It doesn't work. You got to you got to look away. You got to squint your eyes, and so that that's that's kind of what it was like. And you know, a lot of people, whenever they sin, they don't want to come to God because they're afraid of judgment and condemnation. But the Bible says that we can come boldly into the throne of grace when we need to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. You don't have to be afraid to look in the face of Jesus Christ. He's, he's one God that no matter what you've done or how long you've done it, you can come to him and you can receive mercy and grace at all times. Amen. So we are beholding. We are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Now, the word glass here references a mirror. Amen. And so what it means is we are all reflecting as mirrors the glory of the Lord. Again, going back to the face of Moses in a, in a small way and in a very temporary way, of course, that glory faded over time. He didn't have to walk around with a veil as far as we know the rest of his life. That glory faded. That was the glory of the law. But we've got a glory, a joy inside of us. There is, there is a distinctive countenance 
changed into somebody who has been filled with the Holy Ghost. You can tell. You've seen it. I've seen it. There's a shine about them. Amen. And, and, and instead of it pushing people away, it invites them to us. The Lord puts an attractiveness in our spirits. And people can be attracted to the glory of God inside of us, the joy of the Lord. And so, so that's what it means when it says we are all beholding as in a glass to mirror the Lord. We are, we're reflectors of that. In the New Testament, when the Spirit fell, there was a visible sign of the glory of God. From Acts 2 and verse 3, again, we're talking about where is God. And the glory that left the Old Testament is now revealed in the New Testament. Acts 2 and verse 3, I'm sure you've never read this verse before. But, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was a cloven tongue. The word cloven there in the Greek means divided. So it was like these little divided tongues. And it symbolized how they were all speaking divided languages. Similar to the same way in which uh, the Lord divided the languages centuries earlier at Babel. How did he divide it? Through tongues. And the same way he divided it is the same way he unites us through the power of the Spirit of God. That is, and when we get that Spirit, we get tongues. Tongues doesn't do anything, but it's only the sign of what's happened inside of us. It's, it's the outward sign of what the Lord has done in our hearts. There was a sign that pointed back to that pillar of fire that rested upon that tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. This is an undeniable fact. That just as that, that tabernacle of witness in the wilderness had, 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 at least by night, it had this pillar of fire that continually rested upon it. And by day it had a cloud, a pillar of cloud, a cloud of glory, a glory cloud, if you will. And everybody that saw that could see that that was symbolic of, of, of God. That was symbolic of the power of the Spirit of God. And so in the same manner, when God revealed his glory in the New Testament, he gave us an initial evidence of it that pointed back to that as if to say, what you had then, you've got now, but in a much more greater and more real way. Because it wasn't just something you could stare at from afar. Now it's in you. It's resting upon you. The glory of the Lord is there upon you. Amen. That glory that was in under the law. Exodus 33 and 14, the Lord said, or Moses, the Lord said to Moses, and he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. So Moses had been praying, as you know, show me your glory. I want to see your face. Because he had saw the face of millions of grumbling Israelites, and he had had enough. You ever been there? I've, I've, I'm done peopling for the day. I need to shut the door and turn on some worship music, and I need to get with God for a little bit. Uh, the, you might not be surprised to know that Moses had a few days like that in the wilderness. In, in one particular place, he, he was ready to, to pray that the Lord send down fire on him. And thank God Moses and the Lord didn't get mad both in the same day. Or they would have been up a creek without a paddle. <laughs> they would not have had a very good day if that had happened. But God responded by telling Moses, you know, whenever Moses was praying, show me thy glory or show me your presence. He responded by saying that he would go with you and would give you rest. Now, if you're Moses, this is a comforting promise. 
when God says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk ahead of you. That's what God said. I'm going to walk ahead of you. I'm going to walk behind you. I'm going to be your re- reward. Uh, I'm going to be all around you. Um, and so the rest that God promised them was a common expression of the promised land that they was to inherit. Okay? So whenever the Bible says in the book of Psalms, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, the earth in that in context references the promised land. And so what, what, what the psalmist was saying was that if you're meek, Israel, then you'll inherit everything that God has for you to inherit, which in this case was their promised land. So if, so if you walk with God, if you're meek, if you're humble, if you fear the Lord, then you will inherit the land. You will inherit the rest. And they were resting because, remember, in the wilderness, they didn't have any rest, did they? They were constantly wondering and wondering and wondering and walking and walking and walking. Do you have any idea how cumbersome it must have been to every couple of days? Take up your house. Pack up your bags. How many loves moving? Oh, Kevin loves moving. <laughs> we got one that loves moving. God bless Brother Kevin. I hate moving, though. You got to pack everything up. Oh, dear Lord. And moving isn't even half the battle. It's unpacking, which takes weeks, sometimes months to do that. It's no wonder they didn't have any rest. I mean, when you read... Whenever you read in the book of Deuteronomy how Moses detailed all of the places that they had been in 40 years. Takes up like two whole chapters. I mean, it's place after place after place. I don't know how often they moved. Sometimes they went back to where they had just came from. Like, we're going in circles here, God. Weren't we just here like a year and a half ago? And yet here we are again. So they never had any rest. But whenever they came into their promised land, he said, you're not going to live in a tent. You're going to live in a house. House that's got a foundation. Houses that you did not build, you're going to eat from vineyards you did not plant. And he said, I'm going to drive them out before you. I'll, I'll send the hornet ahead of time, and I'll drive them out. And they left. And when Israel, they were just ready to come in, and they just moved right in. It was a move-in, ready house. No work needed. Do you love it like that? Furthermore, it was free. Amen. So they had rest. And so that's what it means whenever God said, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to go with you. So God was telling Moses, I'll go with you. I won't forsake you. And eventually you will, as the nation of Israel, will inherit your promised land in Canaan that I promised you. So there was a tangible glory that went with them. But in the New Testament, God did not just promise he'll go with us. Or he did not just promise us that he won't forsake us. But that he would be in us with a glory That far exceeds that which was under the law of Moses. And that is through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why Paul said, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. No devil in hell. I mean, you know, we talk about the high priest could not uh, approach that presence behind the veil without going through certain ritualistic ceremonies and making sure he's covered with the blood and making sure he doesn't have any blemish. But the devil himself wouldn't even think about trying to go there. The high priest, only after going through certain ceremonies, could ever approach that. And you know what? When you get in the presence of God, there is no devil in hell that can follow you in that place. You are, in the, you are behind the veil, and the enemy cannot touch you. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says, In whom the hope, all the building fitly framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom also you are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And we talk about this building. I mean, this, the, there's a sacredness about this building because it's where we meet and worship. It's where preaching happens and worship happens, etc. But, but there's nothing holy about this building. It's just wood and carpet. But there is something holy about you if you have been born again of the water and the Spirit. Okay, so the glory and the power of God rests upon you. There is a building that is fitly framed together. That is a temple, if you will, like the temple that Ezekiel describes. The habitation of God. Again, God said in, his, in Ezekiel 48 and 35, I will be there. I will be, it's Jehovah Shema. I'm going to be right there. Where is God? He's there among his church. Among this building that is fitly framed together. In other words, under the law, God said, I'll go with you. But under grace, he said, I'll be in you. That's a much closer and more intimate relationship than I'm going to walk with you. God didn't say, I'm just going to walk with you. But I'm going to be in you. I am going to lead you through my spirit. That's a great promise, church. If that's all the Bible you ever understand, that's enough right there to get you to heaven. Under the law, God said that he'd lead Israel into their rest after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But under grace, God said, I am your rest. From Isaiah 28 and verse 11, For with staring lips and another tongue we speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing that you would not hear. So you can, you can fast forward to the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul referenced this verse right here and said, This speaks of speaking in tongues. Whenever he said, With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, he said, That is the rest. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in the same languages as the onlookers heard. And they said, We're hearing. The wonderful works of God in our own language. God was literally bearing witness through the Holy Ghost to that generation that there is a rest that you can enter into. You don't have to wait for a rest to come. The rest is here. Right now. Today. 2 Corinthians 1 and 3. He says, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comfort us who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. He is the God of all comfort. He doesn't lead us to another rest, but he said, I am your rest. When you're tired and you're weary from the journey, he said, I am your rest. You can get in his presence at any time, day or night, and you can stay there all day long. He's the source of peace and comfort and joy and solace in the midst of any circumstance, any situation, or any trial or any tribulation. It does not matter what you are going through. You can always get in the presence of God, and the enemy cannot follow you there. When nobody else can comfort us, Jesus doesn't leave us comfortless. This word comfort, as in comforter, has has a very intimate meaning. John 14 and 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Comfortless here in the Greek 
is where we get the word orphan from. What Jesus was saying was that I will not leave you fatherless because I am the father. And I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be a father to you. I'm going to be the spirit within you. In other words, we got a river we can drink from at any time to receive what we need from the Lord. If only we would come in faith. There's a river that the enemy cannot know, that the enemy does not know about. We have nothing to fear, but we have a glory through the Holy Ghost that, that far surpasses anything that was ever under the law. That glory is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. From Psalms 46, he says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. There is a river that makes glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. God is there. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. Nothing is going to happen to the church. It's here until God says it's not here anymore. And then we're going up. Amen. Now that doesn't mean we might, walk, we might not walk through some... Some tribulations and trials and maybe even persecution. There are millions of Christians all over the world that are being persecuted for their faith. But it means that in the midst of all that, God is there. You can have joy. Amen. Because there is a comforter that has come. When fearful things are happening all around us, just get in the presence of God. There are many rivers that run dry, but only one that never runs dry. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. That, my friend, is talking about the church. Where is God? He's in the middle of the church. He's the God in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. It's interesting that God showed John the Revelator that in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. And yet, look at the chaos that was getting ready to happen you know, on, on the earth. God, I mean, there was chaos unleashed. Men were praying for the rocks to fall on them, and there was the judgment of God all over the place. But God was saying, look, I know you're going through persecution right now even, but I'm still in the midst of the church. I'm still leading you. I'm still in you. I, I can give you joy in the midst where everything else, when, when you don't have any source of joy. Like the three Hebrew children, when you walk through the fire, there is one that is walking with you, and the flames will not burn you. The smell of smoke will not be on you. Like Daniel, when you're thrown into the hungry lion's den, there is one that is with you through it all. That can stop the mouth of the lion. Amen. There's a lot of hungry lions today. But there is one God who can stop the mouth of every lion that would ever speak out against the church. That would ever try to form legislation against it. They can do what they will, but they will not stop the church. Because God said it's going to march on. We have a promise as we stand. He is Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. And you know what? He's not just there. He's here this morning in this place. Right now, he's here among us. If we will reach out to him. If we will feel after him. If we will hunger for him. If we will pursue him in worship. Then he will be here to manifest himself among us. He will be here to manifest his miracles. And his powers. And his signs. And his wonders. God is the same God today as he has ever been. He has not changed. Let's lift our hands right now. And let's do that. Let's just lift him up.
and that you worship him. He's a God that is here and among us today.